If you've got your Bibles, uh, you can go ahead and uh, open up to 1 John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. And the exciting thing I get to tell you this evening is we are launching ourselves into a brand new series. Uh, we've kind of been holding this space over the last uh, couple of months of, of what do we want to speak prophetically into our community? What do we want to acknowledge based on the times that we're living in and res- try and respond to that based on what God's trying to say to us? And, and actually in the midst of that, and uh, we've been asking uh, God, you know, what is it that we would love to create as a story moving forward over the next few weeks that would begin to join us together on a journey together as a church family? And so the thing that we're actually going to be looking at over the next 16 weeks are the others, uh, loving one another, the whole concept of one another in the New Testament. And it's a a concept that that pulls out uh, what it is as followers of Jesus for our lives to be marked by uh, a, a context where it's played out in the context of relationship with other people and figuring out how we do that well, how we do that in, in, within and with the measure of Jesus in and through our lives and how we do that um, in an ever-increasing way to be Christ-like. And so that's really where we're going to be heading so I want to set the scene for that. I want to build a little bit of a foundation this evening uh, by using uh, this, this kind of pivot scripture in 1 John 4 uh, verses 10 and 11 and allow this to be the context in which we then launch into. And actually uh, 1, John, uh, 1 John 4 uh, 10 and 11 is actually one of those uh, uh, one another verses. Um, and so that's ultimately where we want to start and move on from there. If you look in the New Testament, uh, we use these two words, one another, but actually uh, that's our two English words, but it actually describes is described by one singular Greek word, aleleus, which is uh, used in the New Testament uh, over a hundred times in the context of about 94 verses in the New Testament. And when you look at these verses, these one another verses, uh, they are instruction, they are invitation into a way of living, a way of loving, a way of interacting with other people that help form the normal Christian life. And they are uh, they carry very common themes of love. They carry very common themes of, of unity and, and humility and how we posture our lives and the behavior of our lives towards one another. And then um, the, the scope of these verses, um, the, they highlight one thing really clearly, and that is that, it, that we actually have to understand our lives and we have to understand the normal Christian life in the context of community and in the context of relationship. That ultimately, actually, the, the normal Christian life isn't this singular relationship with myself and Jesus and, and everything else goes to the fringe, but actually Jesus invites me to figure out what it is to follow him in the light of how I do that in the context of other people being around me, being in my life, being a challenge in my life, being a compliment in my life, however we find other people, that ultimately my following of Jesus is worked out in the context of community and relationships. And these one another's, they're instructions to to you and I as individuals, but they are clearly carry with them an expectation that we are going to be connected to and have other people in our life. And they're not just simply an instruction to me as an individual, but they are an instruction to to the context of community, life shared out with one another. And one of the things that, uh, that you'll discover 
one of the things that will become clear is that actually this whole process of working out, maybe even walking out these one another's are hugely challenging because they, they, uh, they involve other people and other people do wrong. They rub us up the wrong way. They are a challenge to us. And so in the context of this, you're going to discover that we're going to discover together as we, as we allow these one another verses to speak to our lives, as we allow them to shape and form the context of how we live and how we interact with people around us in a Christ-like way, ultimately we are going to realize that that will be a challenge to walk that out and to work that out. And so actually one of the beautiful things that in amongst all of these one another's, there's plenty that the Bible has to say about um, forgiving one another, about bearing with one another, about confessing our sins to one another. So there's plenty of helpful ingredients in the mix of all these one another's that are really going to help us in the context of navigating through what it is uh, to be in this beautiful context of my relationship of following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, and that being worked out in the context of humanity, one another, brothers, sisters, people, individuals, community. And so here are the 16 things. I'm going to run through them really quickly that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at love one another, accept one another, be at peace, live in harmony with one another, bear with one another and forgive one another, confess our sins to one another. That'll be a fun one. Honor one another, encourage one another, spur one another on, be hospitable to one another, stop passing judgment on one another, teach and instruct one another, submit to one another, carry each other's burdens, don't envy one another, don't grumble against one another, slander one another, serve one another, speak truth to one another, don't lie to one another. So there are 16 key one another's that we are going to go after. We want them to shape and form and challenge and change the way that we live as individuals in the context of the humanity and the people and the, and the community that we find ourselves in. And I want to set this up as we move forward into these future weeks. And I want to look the detail of um, the one another's as we allow them to form and shape us, they are, they're all brilliant invitations and they, they all of them carry the, the hallmark of discipleship and they give us an amazing opportunity to, to really step into God's design for us as followers of Jesus and God's design for the earth that we would uh, be a part of his story in a, in a particular way as we interact with other people. And so I want to start um, by laying a, a bit of a foundation that kind of charts the course and sets the trajectory to where we're going to go over these next few weeks. And like I said, I want to do that by building on these two verses in 1 John 4 verses 10 and 11. So let me read that to you. It says this, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so these two verses, uh, they create uh, two aspects, two keys to us understanding the context of love. And they, uh, they help um, frame and shape, I think, how we uh, are to live our life in terms of how we accept and receive the unconditional love of God. That's the first dynamic. The first key is how we accept and receive the unconditional love and then how we respond 
with the required love of loving one another. And this hopefully, I, I guess, for all of us, as we, as we chart the course through these one another's, will be an important aspect of understanding what is going to fuel this journey. Well, let me tell you, it's going to be fueled by our acceptance and appreciation and um, awareness of God's love for us that would then fuel us into our ability to love one another, to interact with one another. And so I want to pull out um, those, those two aspects of unconditional love and then required love. That unconditional love is that, verse 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then I want to build into that to, to recognize there is a required love, which is verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we've received an unconditional love, but there's a requirement of love from us because of God's love towards us. So let's look at those two things um, briefly this evening as we dive in. Really, that, that verse 10, this, this concept of the unconditional love, it, it really does summarize the, the Christian faith. It speaks to us of, of, of the unconditional love of God that is pointed towards each one of our lives uh, and that we're invited to experience. We're invited to own and experience that love. And it's our gift. It's God's gift to us. And that is a gift of God's grace. If you think about maybe how we consider how we consider love, the, the context of love that we are familiar with, I'm not sure what you think about the word love, but I suspect that for most people today, when we think about love, it, it's thought about in the context of a feeling or a desire or maybe even a strong emotion. Uh, and love ranges from anything, uh, from things that we're passionate about, uh, you know, I love food or I love my job, uh, to things that we love, like our family. Uh, and our friends. You know, I love my mom, I love my dad, I love my brother, I love my sister, I love my wife. Uh, and maybe even to those more trivial things that, that we love. You know, I love chocolate or, or I love sunny days, you know. And, and this whole concept of love in our own language and our own experience covers a, a, a quite a vast range of things. And actually the, the, the context of that and our, our use and appreciation of the word love can often water down really the essence of what really truly love is. But interesting, if you look at those things that I've just talked about that we might that we might love, I love food, I love my job, I love my family, I love chocolate, I love sunny days. You know, I think what you'll find is that, is that all of those things that I love, they are dependent and reliant on, on something else or someone else. And more specifically, they are dependent on those things or those people making us feel a certain way, making us feel uh, so, that, so that in some way our love is related to the effect of those things or the effect that, that those people might have. And so our love is very conditional. And it's absolutely the case that, that naturally um, we love um, people and things that treat us well or make us feel good or, or that make us feel encouraged. That's a very normal, natural thing. Here's some other examples. You know, I love food because it makes me feel happy to eat tasty things. I love my job because it, it's, it's rewarding, because I find it rewarding. You know, I love my family because they care for me. I love my wife because she makes me feel valued. I love ice cream because it puts a smile on my face. I love sunny days because they make me feel warm. If you notice all of these statements, they, uh, they all carry with them the, the kind of center of attention, which is me or I. 
you know, and often um, the the concept of love is really tied up in and around um, me and and how I feel and what's happening to me. And ultimately, you know, if we experience something that brings us enjoyment that we love and we experience that, when that enjoyment goes away, it's often the case that we no no longer love that thing. And so actually our love can be very conditional, can be very fickle. The whole concept of it can be very, uh, very skin uh, deep. Um, I'm not saying that you loving a family skin deep. I'm just saying that actually that it's often connected to a very self-orientated or self-centered ideals. And that's why 1 John 4 verse 10 that kind of unpacks this concept of unconditional love. It's so revolutionary because what we find is a picture, and ultimately not just a picture of love, but a standard of love of God's unconditional love. And this is the the type of love that's not um, defined, uh, not only defines the very essence of love, but it's a type of love that is offered with no expectation of return which is very different than the way often we experience things that we love. We expect the things that we love and the connection to why we love certain things or certain people is because of what we get back from those things. But this type of love that uh, that these verses are talking about, this unconditional love, it's a type of love that is not self-centered, but self-sacrificial. That's the big difference. It's not self-centered, but it is self-sacrificial. And this is a standard. This is, we're going to talk about this this evening, but ultimately what God sets in the way that he positions his love towards you is not just a, a concept of love, but it's a standard of love. And this is the standard of love that I want us to hold in front of us as we set sail into thinking about the, uh, the one another's. How we interact with one another needs to be marked by and established around a standard that God invites us into, invites us to experience, but invites us to to hold in front of us in terms of how we might love. And this is this um, this verse here, verse ten. It's a powerful statement because it says here that God's love for us it's not dependent on whether or not we love Him back or whether or not His love for us benefits us in any way. And this is totally, it's completely backwards. It's completely alien to us in our own society and the way our culture thinks about love. For so often, we only think, I I love when I get something or I have something to gain. But this is a very different standard. What God is, is, is inviting us to experience, but is inviting us into as a standard of love is just so very different. And we get to see God loving us. We get to experience God loving us when he has absolutely nothing to gain. Let's look at another verse together, Romans 5 verse 8. And this unpacks it even further because it helps us understand the, the level and the standard and the extent to which God's love is extended towards each one of us. Verse 8, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, while we were still far away, Christ died for us. And this is it. This is the, this is the deal, guys. This is, what, this is what God did for each one of us while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were still far away, while we were still utterly opposed to God. At that point, he loved us. 
It is demonstrated so profoundly and so completely in the life and the gift of Jesus' Son, who came to pay that penalty for our rebellion, our opposition, our disconnect from God. Jesus came to pay that price. This is the gospel, the good news. But again, it helps us understand the extent to which God's uh, love covers, reaches out, goes beyond to invite us into that experience. And this is what God says. He says, I'll forgive you because I love you. And I'll do that through Jesus who, who was sent as this atoning sacrifice for us. And this is the picture that we see in verse 10, this unconditional love, a love that demands no return, no repayment. It's a love that was freely given to each one of us. And this is the love, and this is the mark of love that sets the standard. But it also, it, it, it points us towards our own response. What are we going to do with that love? What are we, how am I going to respond to that love? How is that love as a standard by which love gets to exist in my life, how is it going to be demonstrated in and through my life? And so it invites us into this second verse, this second invitation into what our lives get to look like as it's radically impacted by this beautiful gift of grace and this beautiful gift of love. And it is this required love. It's this invitation that my life gets to respond to the love that I experience and I get to give a required love. And maybe we're familiar with this initial concept in verse 10 of unconditional love. Maybe, that's, maybe we're familiar with that. However, what I think we don't realize is that God's unconditional love actually places a requirement on us. It actually causes us to respond. If we are to encapsulate and own and take on board the full extent of the love that is pointed and positioned towards your life, it demands a requirement. And this is what we see in verse 11. Dear friends, since because God so loved us, we ought, there's a required response to love one another. So what we find is this amazing truth about God's love is it, it, it is the reason, it is the foundation, but it is also the fuel for our love towards other people. And in that sense, it, it's, not a, it's not a demand. I feel like for so many of us, this journey of the normal Christian life is, is uh, so often a case of, look, just tell me the rules and tell me what you demand and I'll try and respond accordingly. But it's far more of an invitation. You know, it's not a demand. It, does, it doesn't say do this because that's what you should do or do this because I say so. Instead, it invites us into a, 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 to, to respond appropriately to the love that we've received. That's what these verses highlight, that, that actually there's an invitation to respond appropriately. What's our appropriate response in terms of how we love others around us, having established the way in which we've been loved? What is our response and is it appropriate? Is it a love that carries the same sacrificial standard that God showed us when he sent his only son? You know, is it the love that we discover in our own experience of the gospel, God's love, which is meant to move us in our response to loving others? Is that where we find ourselves? John Stott, who's a, a famous Christian writer, wrote very specifically about these verses. Um, and he said this, No one who has been to the cross 
and seen uh, God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of selfishness. Indeed, the invocation seems to be that our love should resemble his love. Since God so loved us, we also ought in a like manner and to a like degree of self-sacrifice to love one another. And I love um, the way in which verse 10 and verse 11 really are linked together. You know, there's not simply this uh, experience that we get to go on simply by being ones who drink fully of the love of God demonstrated in the way he sacrificially. There's not simply just the the closed reservoir of that love in my life. It, It is that actually that Love gets to find an out. It gets to find an expression. It gets to find an appropriate response. And as Stott said, that it would be in the like manner and to a like degree of self-sacrifice in the way that we love one another. So ultimately, what does this what does it mean for us as we set sail on this series together, as we try to pull in the, the challenge and the truth and the command of Scripture and apply it to our life so our life looks different in, in relation to one another? What is this verse? How does this verse frame how we might think and how we might um, posture our lives? Well, ultimately, it is, as I've said, it sets a standard His love, God's love towards you and I, it sets a standard. It marks the standard by which we love. It marks the standard by which my life is postured towards lives and people and the human beings outside of myself. It sets a standard. Yeah, I've said it already, but he loved even when he had nothing to gain in return. Even when he knew that people would continue to turn away from him, reject him, even to the point of rejecting him and punishing him and beating him and ultimately crucifying him to death on a cross. Yet his love, it was relentless, it was extravagant, it was unwavering. Are these the hallmarks of the love that we get to experience, but that we actually get to Uh, redirect in how we love other people. It becomes the standard. It's no small measure. It will carry with it a great cost. So we're under no illusions. We set sail into discovering the, the one another's. There will be a cost implication to our lives. This is not something we can hold, uh, we can just arbitrarily uh, give play lip service to. It will take a level of engagement, a level of wholehearted application, a level of submission to God's word, a level of allowing his Holy Spirit to challenge and change us so that we might move forward in a way that, that is marked by the standard of, God, of God's love that was pointed towards each one of us. It is our standard. So our journey over the next few weeks together is going to be pulling out what the uh, what that love really looks like with what those one another's actually look like and holding this incredible standard of God's love in front of us allowing it to be the lens by which we see all the other aspects of the way that we're supposed to engage with other people recognizing that actually we were loved extravagantly by God relentlessly by God But our foundation into establishing that life of loving others, living united with others, living fully connected to others, and living humbly with one another, it starts right here in 1 John 4. 
It starts with our acknowledgement and our acceptance of the gift of God's unconditional love for us. It's the beauty of his grace. And how do we go on from there? How do we go on to attain that standard of love as we love others around us? Well, we have to experience that love for ourselves first, and we have to allow it to be the fuel, and we have to allow it to be the standard by which we love other people. So simply this evening, that's where I wanted to to start us on this journey. It's what I want to invite you to experience in your homes, that actually we would open up and pray for a moment to acknowledge and accept the the unconditional, extravagant, relentless, unwavering love of God that is pointed towards your life. And not that that would end the journey, not that that we would all just feel better about ourselves because we know and have experienced and accepted God's love, but ultimately that it would mark our lives. It would set a standard in our lives and it would become the fuel by which we begin to love others around us. So I want to pray and give a moment over to that. So wherever you are, you may want to just pause and reflect. You may just want to invite God into the room or the place where you're sat and say, God, would you come and reveal your love again to me? That's where I want to start. And that's where I want to allow Holy Spirit to fuel us as over the coming weeks um, we begin to define what a life loving one another is living in harmony and connection and peace with one another. What all that looks like but having that be done in and through the fuel of God's love for you. So Holy Spirit, I I invite you to come and to to touch in each one of us. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Flood our hearts again with your love. I pray, God, that that actually what you did on the cross by sending your Son, your one and only Son, this extravagant, unwavering posture of love towards humanity that you give of yourself, that we wouldn't just acknowledge it as a fact, but we would allow it to mark our lives. We would allow it to to, um, help us understand the value that you placed on each one of our lives to the extent that you loved us and you required nothing back from us because you, you loved us first. So God, would you come, would you pour your love in our hearts? All of those things that would seek to distract us or seek to restrict us from fully encountering your love. I pray in Jesus' name, all of those things would be stripped from our hearts, would be stripped from our minds. And that God, we would lean into your love. That God, we would allow it to mark our lives deeply and profoundly. And Holy Spirit, as we journey on as a community together over the next 16 weeks, I pray that our lives would never be the same again, purely and simply because we know that we are loved unconditionally. But from then and from that point, God, that we would get to live extravagantly, um, extravagant lives of love ourselves, that we get to love one another. We would get to be interconnected with one another in such a way where we reflect your love, where we own your love, where we allow your love to be the standard and the fuel for how we love those around us. Help us, strengthen us, encourage us, build us in this journey, I pray. 
And it's in your precious son, Jesus' name, that I pray. Amen. Hey, listen, uh, I would really encourage you. Um, you know, I know for so many of us in, in this season when our natural uh, points of connection, that you know, we're not able to necessarily keep at the same rhythm of connection that we normally would have done, um, that it, it's sometimes hard. And maybe for some of you, you've been kind of jumping in and out of the stream or watching some of the stuff and what and skipping others. Like, I get it. We're busy. There's lots of things going on in people's lives. I would really encourage you over the next 16 weeks to, to come on this journey with us as we've architected this journey that we believe God's in to mold us, to shape us, to challenge us and change us. Like be in and be present with us in that journey. We love you. We miss you. We are really, really looking forward to the time when we do get to be together in the same room. But until then, we do love sharing this space together. Just a quick reminder, if you want to jump out,